Welcome to Axiopod, a podcast brought to you by Axiometrics, the leader in U.S. apartment and student housing market intelligence. This is the spot for excellent commentary and insightful interviews on the rapidly changing U.S. apartment and student housing markets. Hello, and welcome to Axiopod. I'm Dave Sorter, and with me today in studio is one of Axiometric's expert real estate analysts, Louis Rosenthal, who will tell us, well, what's in the apartment and student housing pipeline for 2017. Louis, welcome to Axiopod. Hey, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Great to have you, and thanks for doing this. So let's get right into it. What does uh, your research show will be happening this year in, the, in apartment construction? Here we'll get even more new units delivered this year than in 2016. Yeah, that's right. 2017 is looking to be one of those banner years for apartment construction. You know, if you were blown away by the construction levels we saw last year, just wait until the end of this year when we're thinking that more than 390,000 new units will be delivered nationwide. So just to understand how crazy the construction levels are this year, between 2015 and 2016, the number of units in the pipeline increased by less than 10%. So this year, however, we're seeing an almost 40% increase in identified supply. But keep in mind that it may take a year or more from the permitting phase to actually leasing up. So for a good indicator of where construction levels are headed, you really got to look at the permitting activity a year or two ago. And when we look at these latest permitting numbers, we see that there are 57,000 fewer multifamily units being permitted compared to the peak, which was in January 2016. So there really is relief on the horizon. We just have to get through all the new deliveries that are scheduled for this year. Yeah, I believe it. Um, now, a year ago, we thought 2016 was going to be the peak year, but now it's the third quarter of 2017. What? Uh, why? Yeah, and there are a lot of reasons for why this peak has been pushed back a few times now, and some of it's really specific to the construction industry itself. So for one, it's still difficult to find enough construction workers to actually work on this development backlog. We have seen some improvement in this indicator in recent months, but there's still a lot of construction job openings that need to be filled. And secondly, there's um, the prices of construction commodities themselves, especially concrete and lumber, that are at some of the highest levels since the Great Recession. And then we have to add to this, uh, banks are tightening their lending standards considerably, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to multifamily loans. So up until about 2015, lending standards were relatively loose. But starting around the third quarter of 2015, we started to see some tightening. Now, we've seen a little bit of loosening in the lending standard just the last uh, last quarter or so, um, but they're still extremely tight compared to where we were just two years ago. So just the significant delays in the industry right now are specific to the construction industry. And every metro is going to have its own different kind of construction fundamentals to work through. Of course. I know that the uh, construction jobs are there for the taking, but people seem to have graduated onto other industries where they might pay a little more. So that that affects the student housing construction supply. But when do you see construction starting to pull back? And are there any markets that are already retrenching? Yeah. Um, well, nationally, we're still looking at 2018 really being the first year of an actual year-over-year decline in the number of new deliveries. I'm expecting a single-digit decline in new construction by the end of 2017 and a double-digit decline in 2018. Mm. On a quarter-by-quarter basis, we probably won't see this pullback until around summer 2018. 
So there's still some way to go until we're actually in a world where new construction levels are below where they were just the previous quarter or the prior. But if you look at the markets and we look at the top 50 markets tracked by Axiom Metrics, you know, Riverside is set to see the sharpest reduction in new construction this year. But, you know, this is already a low supply market to begin with. Which is one reason why its rent growth is so high. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, you know, job growth there is still good. It's just not where it was back in late 2015. And that's when most of the new supply coming online right now was originally permitted. Now, I was surprised to see that Raleigh is pulling back in supply this year simply hmm. because it's one of the fastest growing metros in terms of population and job growth. So that was surprising. But, you know, I was, of course, not surprised to see that Houston construction pulled back significantly, given hmm. all the troubles we've seen there. They need to be a pullback. <laughs> <laughs> they sure do. And especially, you know, I don't know if you know, but the uh, BLS just came in with their revised job growth numbers going mm -hmm. back the last two years. And it looks like Houston was in even worse shape than we previously thought. Job gain actually went negative, And that's going to further depress demand for apartments. Yeah. So in Houston, you know, we're seeing significant uh, reductions in new deliveries, and we'll see further reductions in 2018. And I'll be paying very close attention to oil prices just to get a sense of where Houston construction is headed as we close out this decade. Sure. Um, but speaking of markets, where will be the hottest metros for construction and deliveries this year? Yeah, among the larger apartment markets, I would look towards Denver. Uh, we're expecting to see a major increase in new construction this year compared to last and this is one of those markets that I just keep expecting to see it slow significantly. But then you turn to their job growth numbers, their rent growth numbers, and the market seems to just be holding up fine. So, I mean, I'm definitely curious to see how they absorb all this new supply coming online throughout through this year and next. Um, but I'm also looking at for other smaller hot markets. I'm looking at Anaheim, Fort Worth, Oakland. These are markets that are adding more than 100% of what they did just last year. You know, of course, we can't talk about hot markets without touching on New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, still on a construction binge, despite being a negative rent growth territory since last summer. And so that makes it all the more surprising when I see that New York is expected to add at least 28,000 new units in 2017. But actually, when we look a little deeper and see, look at some of the demand side indicators, like job growth, some demographic factors, the New York market's actually in pretty good shape um, in 2018. It's just got to get through this batch of new supply. Yeah. Um, any particular areas of uh, New York City where new properties will be sprouting up? Yeah, uh, there are a couple areas that are really just exploding right now in New York. Um, one is an area in Queens County, just on the other side of the Queensboro Bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, we had identified 644 new units built in this area. This year, we're seeing about 5,000 new units that's delivered. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge increase. And 2018 expected to even go higher. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, when we talk about 2018 numbers, we're still identifying what's coming online. So I would not expect those numbers to keep going up and up in 2018. Um, of course, there's Brooklyn and Kings County also seeing substantial increases in new construction this year. Number of new units in Brooklyn alone doubled between 15 and 16, and it's going to double again this year. Wow. I knew Brooklyn was hip, but <laughs> didn't realize it was that hip. Anyway, just wondering, does it look like developers are trending away from the urban core since those sub-markets really aren't performing as well as outer core and suburban markets? Yeah, um, the change in urban core construction activity is really going to differ market by market. 
In some metros, we're expecting significant reductions in urban core deliveries in 2017. I'm thinking about Austin, Boston, Miami, Raleigh, San Francisco, you know, these urban cores. And among that list, Austin really sticks out to me. Um, We've known Mm. for a while the urban core is suffering. So now that I'm seeing some pullback in construction there, that's going to be really welcome news to people there. Yeah, it's been negative rent growth there in central Austin for a while now. Yes. Um, Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of markets in which urban core construction is expected to ramp up at San Jose, Seattle, Atlanta. So, I mean, to get back to your question, it's kind of hard to say if there's really a genuine trend against urban core construction right now. Most urban cores in the country saw a spike in building activity as we came out of the last downturn. And so that's contributing to some of its weakness last year or two. But again, you know, market by market, we're going to see a lot of differences. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, every market is an entity unto itself and has its own uh, dynamics. Um now, change the subject just a little bit, Lewis. How is the lease upside of things performing? What kind of absorption trends are we seeing, especially in the face of all that supply and declining job growth rates? Yeah, um, nationally, absorption levels were down quite a bit between 2015 and 2016. And so that helps explain some of these moderation trends that we've, we've seen since the middle of last year. But again, you know, because the individual markets and sub-markets themselves are in very different places, we really got to look a little lower, um, look at lease up performance, metro by metro or at sub-market level. And so when I look at some of the weakest markets in the country, like Houston, we see that the average absorption rate, which, which we calculate per property per month, it's down substantially from where it was just a couple years ago. And it's even uglier when you look at some individual Houston sub-markets, like the urban core area of Montrose. River yeah, Oaks, exactly. Yeah. Really, really suffering. We're seeing average absorption rates nearly half of what they were just just last year. So you've wow. got, yeah, but you've got a struggling sub-market with a struggling metro area, and the absorption rates really reflect that. But even when we look at some of these generally stronger metros with you know, lots of construction activity like Dallas, we see absorption rates that are below the cycle peak between 2012 and 2015. And that makes a lot of sense considering some of the supply and demand factors we're following. You know, again, look a little deeper. You take a particularly weak submarket in Dallas, like the Oaklawn um, urban core area, mm-hmm. where we're seeing an average absorption rate of eight units per month. And compared to Dallas's strongest submarket, like far north Dallas, which is absorbing double that per month. So yeah. in general. Yeah, and if anybody was in Dallas, New Dallas, they'd know that Far North Dallas is basically a suburb. So. Yes, these are the suburbs of Dallas. And, you know, in general, across these major markets, lease-up properties are facing a, a much more competitive environment than they did just a year or two ago. But, you know, again, that obscures a lot of what's going on at the sub-market level where the competitive forces can really be quite different. Sure. Now let's shift gears a little bit over to student housing. Um, what has Axio been finding about the uh, supply going into the 2017-18 academic year? Yeah, uh, right now we're looking at about 47,000 new off-campus beds, which are set to deliver for the fall 2017 year. That's right about where new deliveries have been since 2015. So although we're not seeing a major jump in new deliveries in 2017, that 47,000 new beds that I mentioned, that's more than all of the new student housing beds that were delivered between 1980 and 1995. Whoa. Yeah, so that should give you a sense about how the industry has evolved. It certainly is a maturing market, but still we're nowhere near the 60,000 beds of 2013 and 2014, right? No, no, no. We've seen some significant moderation from the peak back in those two years. 
And keep in mind, you know, the background to all this is enrollment at the national at the national level, which is kind of equivalent to what job growth would be like in the conventional space. Mm -hmm, at sure. the national level, we saw enrollment really explode in 2008 and 2009 when the economy was entering recession, um, when the perceived value of higher education went up. So, you know, enrollment levels, while they're still growing, going up, the rate at which they're increasing has slowed. And so student housing developers are paying a lot of attention to these enrollment trends, and they've responded accordingly. You know, they're still bringing a lot of beds to market, but less than what they did just a few years ago. Where are most of the new student housing properties being built in terms of distance from campus, closer to classes, farther away from campus? What's going on? Yeah, that's a really good question because it brings up something really intuitive about the student housing space. It's students and their parents really place a high premium on distance to campus, you know, the closer a property is to campus, the higher the price per bed and the faster uh, the property will pre-lease. So, for example, if you look at all the student housing properties tracked by Axiometrics, the average price per bed is about $639. So, mm -hmm. yep. So, but if you're a property that's less than half a mile from campus, you can get $695 per bed, which is $56 more than the average. But go further away from campus, go to half a mile or full mile, you're looking at 68 to to $100 more um, than the average. And that's per bed. So, you know, per unit, you multiply that by three or four. And, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And, you know, the same logic really extends to the pre-lease um, where properties that are the closest to campus, closest to classes are leasing faster. So, yeah, distance to campus really does matter in terms of property performance. We can kind of think of campus uh, as similar to what an urban core or a central business district would be like. The closer you are to the employment centers or classes for student housing, the higher the rent a property can command. That sounds very interesting. Now, the past few years, it seems that Southern University markets have received the most new student housing supply. Is that still true or are things shifting at all? Well, it's true that Southern Universities are adding the most new beds in, for 2017, but when you look at inventory growth, Southern schools are actually adding about 10% fewer units than they did last year. Mm. Yeah, on the other hand, you look at the second largest region, which would be uh, the Midwest, um, and that's experiencing a slight increase in inventory growth compared to last year. Really? But the biggest mover that we're looking at is um, schools in the mountain region. So you're talking about ASU, University of Colorado. You know, here we're seeing that inventory growth has just exploded, a 100% increase um, this year compared to last. Interesting. Um, student housing is an emerging field and a maturing sector. But um, back to conventional apartments here, you know, job growth is the primary factor affecting apartment demand, as you well know. Um, do you see future development picking up in the metros with the most job growth? Yeah, we sure do. Um, Orlando, for example, had the strongest annual job growth rate among the top 120 markets that we track. And in turn, developers are adding a lot of new units to them to that market, 50% or more increase than they did last year. In fact, Florida as a whole is, is a state that's just adding jobs left and right, and development is following. You take a smaller market like Palm Bay, which had the strongest rent growth rate just, just this last month, but it has also the second highest job growth rate after Orlando. And we're expecting a 70% you know, increase in new deliveries in Palm Bay. We're seeing the mm -hmm. same thing in Jacksonville, you know, lots of new jobs, lots of new apartments. I'm also really interested in what's going on in Nashville. It's a solid market, 
really good economic and demographic fundamentals. But moderating. Moderating for sure. And, you know, a lot of that is this major increase in new supply this year that Nashville really hasn't seen in at least the last 20 years. So we're really not quite sure how easily they're going to be able to absorb. You know, in the long run, we think Nashville is actually going to be a really strong market. We'll just have to see what happens uh, throughout this year. You know, we hear a lot about the markets which may be getting to use the word that nobody likes to use, uh, <laughs> oversupplied. But are there any in which there is dire need of more construction? Yeah, and that's an interesting question. Um, you know, for this, I'm really going to be looking at markets that are seeing really strong job growth, but the supply numbers just don't seem to be there. Um, you know, if you look at a market like Raleigh, which mm-hmm. added 17,000 new jobs last month, you know, are there enough apartments there to 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 fit all of these new job holders? And so one way that we can look at this is to look at a ratio of how many new jobs are added and how much new multifamily supply is added as well. And so when we're looking at Raleigh right now, for every six new jobs that are added to the metro area, there's only one multifamily unit available. So that should be a very favorable in- indicator for apartment owners and operators, maybe not so good for consumers. But, you know, with all that in mind, it's very surprising then to see that Raleigh is actually pulling back in terms of new supply this year compared to last. Okay, it might make sense that a market like Oklahoma City is pulling back. They're <laughs> losing jobs. Raleigh is gaining jobs and at a very healthy pace. Yet there's just not enough new supply to keep up. All that is great information, Lewis. Thanks. But why is all this information about pipeline useful for people in the apartment and student housing industry? Yeah, to me, you know, it really comes down to an important question about, you know, where is my competition? What is my competition doing? You know, the pipeline can also help identify new opportunities in certain markets or submarkets, places you should be looking at, and maybe even places you should be avoiding, you know, potentially oversaturated areas. In terms of arriving at that the right price point for your property, you know, the pipeline data will help you see the rents that your new comp- that your new competition is charging. Very good. Um, what about vendors? Why would they find it necessary? Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, this is these are leads essentially. All of the properties that we're adding on a daily basis, these are leads for plumbers, electricians, mm-hmm. contractors of all sorts <laughs> for multifamily. I mean, it is a great source for vendors. Yeah, I believe it. Then that way they can attract new business and know where to go. Plus, our new Axio portal uh, has true ownership information so people know exactly who the owner is and who they need to contact. Um, Anything else you'd like to say about Pipeline? Well, I mean, just in general, I'm just very impressed by the sorts of data that we collect from our Pipeline team. I mean, it is extremely detailed, extremely granular, can really help drive business decisions. And so to all the Pipeline, all the team that's collecting this data, student housing side and conventional, they're doing such a great job. Very good. Thank you so much, Lewis, and thanks for your time and all the great information about what's coming through the apartment and student housing pipeline. Hey, Dave, it's been great. Thanks for having me. All right. And if you want to know more about pipeline, visit the all-new www.axiometrics.com and download our latest ebook, The Pipeline to Confident Decisions. That's all we have time for today. Until next time, this is Dave Sorter. Have an Axio day. Thank you for listening to Axiopod from Axiometrics. Subscribe to Axiopod on iTunes to get the latest episodes downloaded to your device. And visit www.axiometrics.com 
to learn how to obtain timely, granular, and accurate apartment and student housing market intelligence.